Let us all bow our hearts and heads in prayer. Loving Father in heaven, we come before your throne of grace, before your mercy seat at which you are being constantly attended by your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, at your right hand as our intercessor, as our advocate, as the mediator of a better covenant. Lord, we pray that you would be merciful and gracious to us this this morning and that you would speak to us through your word, through your messengers, and that your name would be glorified and that many hearts would be touched. We invite thee now in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. With the Lord's help, I'd like to turn to Apostle Paul's epistle to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Apostle Paul's epistle to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Moreover, brethren... I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how the Lord, how the, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of about 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. And after that, he was seen of James and of all the apostles, and at last... Of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, and I'm not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me, Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if it were if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. 
If in this day only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits of <clears throat> afterward they that are Christ that is coming. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he have put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. I have read up to and including verse 26. <clears throat> May the Lord bless the reading of his word. May we all need to kneel to pray. Dear Father in heaven, as we address ourselves directly to thee, we do so in fear and in trembling, dear Father, in reverence and in adoration, but also in gratitude, in love and in joy. Because we know, now we know, who created us, the God who created us, the one who made everything. We know who thou art, dear Father, through Jesus Christ. The plan of salvation is revealed. It's not just a matter of one single promise, dear Father, but all of the promises that are in thy word, which all point to this, dear Father, all of the, the promises that were given to the patriarchs of old, to Abraham as he looked at that starry sky, the promises that he had to believe in, dear Father, and now we know that all nations of the earth can be blessed through Jesus Christ. And dear Father, this is a great and a glorious truth to proclaim this day, this good day of grace. Dear Father, we pray that it would be proclaimed, that it would be proclaimed in clarity, in, in power, in simplicity, so that everyone could understand this fundamental truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And dear Father, we pray that it could be declared in our hearts too, dear Father, that we too could look inside and ask ourselves, are we living as if Christ has risen from the dead. We may say it with our lips, but dear Father, are we living in a way that reflects that fundamental truth? Dear Father, help us this day to grasp a hold of thy word and faith, the promise that is contained therein, that we are not the most miserable of all men, that we are the most blessed. Those that we look around that have all the goods of this world, all the, 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 the power, all the riches, all the the things of this life, the rich men, dear Father, we may indeed be the Lazaruses, but we have the great promise of Jesus Christ, of his death and resurrection, and we can too can follow that through faith. Dear Father, we have many things to pray for, many petitions that were already mentioned this morning of those that are suffering in this life as their bodies give them trouble and, and affliction as there's questions about how much longer they will live or the, the, the pain that they will go through, dear Father, we also pray for them. We pray that they would find their joy and their security and their, the peace that they need at this moment in Jesus Christ, in the promise of the resurrection. 
We pray for healing too, dear Father, according to thy will, that thou wouldst work in their lives in a way that all could see, that they could give honor and they could give glory, whether through the physical healing or through the triumph of the spirit over the flesh. Dear Father, we pray for thy children wherever they are this day throughout the whole earth. Thou knowest. Thou knowest each one in whatever corner he is, he or she is, proclaiming, living the gospel, whether in the face of great persecution or in uh, the face of indifference. Dear Father, strengthen all of the members of thy body. Work through each one, dear Father, so that thy gospel message could be spread and thy return may be hastened so that thy whole church throughout the earth may say, even so come, Lord Jesus, as we do pray this morning too. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Come and have that final victory over death. When death will be no more, when we will be released from these bodies, dear Father, when everything, all the evils that we see around us are put right, when the King returns and sits on his throne for all the earth to see and every knee bows, we say, even so come, Lord Jesus. Dear Father, we pray for the children. We pray for the ones that are growing up in a hostile world, that, that a world that is very opposed to the truths that we wish to embed in their hearts. Dear Father, we pray for them. We know that the children are precious in thy sight. Dear Father, help us to cultivate, to work in those little hearts, in the garden, of thy vineyard, dear Father, even now. Bless the teaching of thy servants downstairs. Dear Father, help these words, these, this incorruptible seed to be hid in their hearts so that indeed it would germinate and bring forth life, new life, resurrected life in that day. Dear Father, we pray for the unconverted, those that are dead in their sins and trespasses. This morning hour, those that maybe have an inkling, those that know it and are miserable, those that are struggling and those that are, are crying out, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Lord, we pray for them this hour. We pray that they would be released, that they would look to Jesus and live, that they would realize there is nothing worth holding on to, that whatever decisions they need to make, they should make them now in this good day of grace and experience that life-changing grace, the faith the living faith, dear Father, that will spring up into a new life. Dear Father, we pray for them this morning hour. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, the man who walked just as we walked to experience just all the things that we experienced, and Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God the Son, who is now, as we've said already, sitting at thy right hand, hearing these prayers, knowing all our weaknesses, all our failures over this past week, and still hearing these prayers and presenting them before a holy and a perfect God on the basis of his blood. We pray this all in his name. Amen. <clears throat> As uh, the brother prayed, this is indeed a good day, a day of grace, a day where God allows everyone an opportunity to make right with him. The gospel which we have read about here in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says, I declare unto you the gospel 
which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand. There was a time when Paul passed through Corinth, and um, he pioneered, if you will, the churches. He was the, the, the master builder, as he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And others came and watered and, and added to it, and the, and the church grew. And he's now dealing with one of many issues in the church. church the, the church at Corinth was riven with all kinds of issues. It was to them um, admonition, chastening, and it's to us a lesson also for the same. Humankind hasn't changed. Human nature hasn't changed. Even the church has the same problems and difficulties and issues that the church back then had. But he says, I preached unto you the gospel which ye have received and wherein ye stand and by which ye are saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you. It's not just a matter of learning it once. You know, when it says that Jesus Christ, um, God so loved the world that uh, whoever believes on him, right, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes on him should not perish. It's not a one-time belief. If I'm not mistaken, that word believes is in the present continuous active tense. Who is believing in him? And John 15 talks about those who are abiding in the vine, not who once were branches that shot up onto the vine, but those who abide in him. Why? Because that he had ordained them uh, that he, he said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you would bring forth much fruit. So the gospel message is not just by the initial, you know, accepting of Jesus Christ into your heart. That's not the gospel, full gospel message. The gospel message is one of complete repentance, turning around, um, uh, having a new view of yourself in, before God's eyes and a new view of who God truly is. But it's even more than that. Because as we have gone through this chapter, he doesn't stop at, he doesn't stop at repentance and baptism. He, and he doesn't stop even at the resurrection. The resurrection, they be, some were beginning to doubt the resurrection. And he, he began to, to go in a very systematic way of telling them, if people do not rise from the dead, then Christ doesn't, didn't rise from the dead. And if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then you are yet in your sins. And then that means that the only hope you have is hope while you are living, hope in this world. And the Apostle Paul says, for if in this life only I have hope, I am the most miserable of all men. And he really sets the stage. And he gives them the big narrative. It's not the, the narrative of what many people just think that, you know, um, I'm a sinner before God's eyes and Jesus came to die on the cross for my sins. Now I can get saved so I can go to heaven. That is not the entire gospel of Jesus Christ. Being saved from our sins is crucial, is the crux of the gospel. But there's far more to the gospel. When Jesus came preaching and when John the Baptist came preaching, the, the, the 
The, the message was repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And throughout the gospels themselves, John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, throughout the gospels, you will always see the theme of the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God like? What is the kingdom of heaven like? In the Middle Ages, they they made this movie of the um, um, Crusaders. It's called The Kingdom of Heaven. What was the focus of that movie? I didn't watch it all, but I, I, I tweaked my interest to see who was Saladin and who was Richard III. And, and, and what was this all about? It was fighting for our holy city. It was fighting to gain possession of this holy city, Jerusalem. And they did everything but being holy in, that ba- in those battles. Slaughtering one another, killing one another, returning evil for evil, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, piling them ten feet high, the bodies. That is not God's message to mankind about what the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is all about. The kingdom of heaven has to do with returning man to a right relationship with God and restoring this cursed earth and the heavens to be brand new, to create a new world for everyone that believes in Jesus Christ. And that theme goes on time and time again. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, it says that God will now no longer only shake the earth, he will shake the heavens and the earth. And he will create a new world wherein dwells righteousness forever and ever and ever. And the thought came to my mind um, when I was thinking on this theme. You look at what's going on in Ukraine now. Look at the plundering. Look at the the, the destruction. Cities completely destroyed. Towns completely destroyed. The, the, The people driven out. Thousands and thousands, tens of thousands killed and slaughtered. Now let's say the war stopped all of a sudden because Putin got what he wanted. What are these people going to come back to? What are they going to come back to? They're going to live in these destroyed condos and buildings and houses and farms and and, and schools. They're going to come back and live in the rubble? No, it has to be restored. And when God wants to bring man back to him. Not only does he bring him back from the dead, or that would that happen in, in, in any war that those that were, had a, were killed and slaughtered would be brought back to, from the dead and then given a second chance. But God wants to bring them back from the dead, the spiritual death, the separation from God, the destruction and sin that has corrupted man, and he wants to in, let them inhabit a new world wherein reigns peace and righteousness. And that's what the second half of what we have read is all about. The narrative is not just about me. Me being forgiven for my failures and going to heaven. The narrative is about God. 
is about Christ. Let's read that through one more time now, having said that. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. No matter how good you have it, no matter how much you party, no matter how, how much peace and money and, and possessions and land you have, if that's all you have, you're still the most miserable of all men if there is no hope in Christ, if there is no resurrection. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept, them that, that did die. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. And every time I read this, I can just feel the Messiah as we sing these songs every Christmas time. The power of that. For by man came death, by man also came the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, even as in Christ shall all be made alive. Everyone in Adam. Who's, who's in Adam? We are all in Adam. We have all descendants of Adam. And when Adam fell, we fell with him. He was the representative man through whom the whole world fell. But every man in his own order. Now, this is the, this is the holiness of God shown. That God, there is an order. There is something planned. There's something that has to be arranged. That he will do things According to his will, he, he, sets the, he sets the direction, he sets the course, he makes the plans. For as in Adam all die, even in Christ shall all be made alive, but every man in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Christ was the first risen from the dead that didn't die again. He was the, f- the first fruits was that first harvest of a crop that will guarantee the rest of the crop that's what the first fruits are but every man in his own order christ the first fruits afterwards they that are christ at his coming and we've had many bible discussions on this that christ will come again and he will claim his own and there's going to be a resurrection of the body and the bible says in romans chapter 8 to wit the redemption of the body He called that the adoption of sons, the final taking home, the sons that he's adopted. To wit, the redemption of the body is this adoption of sons. Afterwards, they that are Christ at his coming. 1 Thessalonians 4, you can read all about that as far as more detail. Then comes the end. Is that the end? Is that the end of the gospel? Then comes the end. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God. Who's he? Christ. Christ will have delivered up the kingdom to God. The promised kingdom. The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Christ and of our God. This is a big narrative. This is not just me and my little problems here and my sin. It's part of it, but it's not all. There comes the end. He shall deliver up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power. Christ, the Son of the living God, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, was given and delegated the responsibility of judging the world. 
And yet he said in John chapter 5, Yet I will not judge you. My word will judge you. Jesus didn't come as a judge the first time. He said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He didn't come with any words of condemnation to the world unless the hypocrites, the religious leaders that were leading uh, the, the, the sheep astray, he came with the harshest words. But for those that recognized their sin, when they were, uh, it was discovered through his word and through the law, and they come, he doesn't condemn. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that tells you one thing, that Jesus' mission on this world, in this world was not one of vengeance, was what, not one of wrath, it was one of love. That while God so loved us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly, Romans 5 says. But he will take all the, all the, 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 the authority and the power and the rule that was given to him he will take that and he will put it all down at the feet of God, at the feet of the Father. He will put it all down and subject himself to the first person of the Trinity. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Jesus must reign. This is, this is the, the, big, the bigger view, the, the 50,000 foot view now of the crucifixion. That what Jesus did on the cross was for me individually. But what he did for the whole plan of God was to restore the paradise lost and restore the order in the universe as God had intended it to be. And he lays everything at the feet of death and every enemy must be destroyed. And the last enemy that is destroyed is death. As we learned in our Wednesday night Bible studies that death and hell were cast into the lake of fire which burns forever and ever. The smoke of their torment is forever and ever and ever. No more death, no more hell, no more. When they talk about hell and there's two, two words for it, Hades and Gehenna, no more death, but the, the second death is the, the Gehenna fire that Jesus was talking about. Hades is the place and the abode of the dead. In Greek mythology and it's accepted in the Greek language. That's where you are buried. That's where you go under the ground. But Gehenna fire, which Jesus talked about, him that you should fear is not him that can kill the body, but he that can kill the body and after he has killed the body will cast him into Gehenna. This Gehenna is the second death. 
This Gehenna is the lake of fire. It's just too huge and enormous for us to, to put our minds around. But it's a bigger narrative. And then there will be peace. There'll be no more Ukrainian war. There'll be no more World War II. There may not, there will not be a World War III. There may be a World War III on this earth, but there will not be anything like that once the end of time has come. There was a battle that was going on. And the battle was between the powers of evil and the powers of God, of good. I'm, I can't um, forget the song that we sang. And it just sort of sums up something of what we've read now. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, our, our warfare is not against flesh and blood. Our warfare is not against flesh and blood. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and everything that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. There are other wars going on apart from the physical battles of our artillery and bombardment and destruction, physical buildings. There are wars that are going on at a spiritual realm. This is what the song sang, and we sang it at camp once. It's, it's a very haunting, if you will, if you listen to the, to the lyrics. It's called, It Is Finished. There's a line that is drawn through the ages. On that line stands an old rugged cross. On that cross, a battle is raging to gain a man's soul or its loss. On one side, the marches, march the forces of evil, all the demons, all the devils of hell. On the other, the angels of glory, and they meet on Golgotha's hill. The earth shakes with the force of the conflict. The sun refuses to shine, for there hangs God's son in the balance. And then through the darkness, he cries, It is finished. The battle is over. It is finished. There will be no more war. It is finished. The end of the conflict. It is finished. And Jesus is Lord. The next time you contemplate, when you think about the gospel story, when you think about the crucifixion, This battle is raging. Because the song doesn't finish here. It goes on, it says, Yet in my heart, the battle is still raging. Not all the prisoners of war had come home. There were battlefields of mine own making. I didn't know that the war had been won. Oh, but then I heard the king of the ages had fought all the battles for me 
and that victory was mine for the claiming. And now praise his name. I am free. Is there a battle raging in your heart? Have you been looking at the gospel story and think it's just a, a great story for a movie? Or it's something that was nice that Jesus did for, and he just wants me to be a good person? Or is the story bigger? The story is bigger from this point as we've been hearing on Wednesdays. We are image bearers of God. We have been chosen to reflect his glory, his, his light, his truth, his love to this world. And when this image has become stained and corrupt and, 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 and fractured, we are no longer doing that. We are no longer shining God's love and glory to this world and being a reflection of God himself. So it doesn't end at the cross. Romans 6 says, we are buried with Christ. We have died with Christ. We have been buried with Christ. We don't stay in the grave. It says, and we are raised with Christ unto a newness of life. The beginning of this recreated world, of this recreated me. The regenerated me in this new world that will come ultimately where there will be reigning righteousness and peace. That means I don't just get saved and wait for the second coming. That means I've got to walk in the newness of life. That means I put off the old man. He's dead. He's been crucified. And I put on the new man. A new man that reflects Christ in his love, in his righteousness, in his truth, in his long suffering, in his patience, in his humility. in his works, in his ministry, in his preaching the gospel. I can tell you, based upon the word here, if we don't do these things, we're the most miserable of all men. What hope do we have if we think that my mission is accomplished when I'm being saved, when I'm being baptized? Are we part of the new creation? We say we are. We say we are new creatures. Behold, all things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Are we new? Have we, have we put on that resurrected body? Are we motivated by the love of Christ to do his works, as Galatians 5 says? Faith works by love, the love of God. And when God made this plan... In, 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 in 1 Peter 5, I believe it says, or 1, it says, we have been predestinated by his foreknowledge. The plan was not just for me to be predestinated to be saved. It's a, 
It's a journey back. The predestination is the journey that makes me conformable to the image of Jesus Christ, Romans 8 says. And how are we conformed to the image of Jesus Christ other than doing his will? Well, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Go ye therefore into the whole world, teaching all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. How many commands has Christ given to us and are we fulfilling them? He says, greater love has no man that he will give his life for his friends. That's how much he loved us. He also says, therefore shall all men know that you are my disciples. You are in my image, in the image of God, when they see your love one for another. Are we portraying that? Are we reflecting that in this corrupted world, in this cursed world? Some verses come to my mind. When Jesus was on the cross, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that, let me just read the whole couple of verses here. So I don't misquote them. Therefore, verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And all things are of God, who has reconciled us to him by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us that responsibility. We have been given, we have been charged. With the ministry of reconciliation. Preaching the gospel. Matthew 28. You, but you know Paul didn't take that as an obligation. In the sense that he has to do it or he's going to get punished. What did he say? Therefore the love of Christ constrains me. I preach these things because I love you in the name of Jesus Christ. And then it goes on, it says, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Again, he reinforces, emphasizes that we were saved by Christ hanging on the cross for our sins and then by us accepting him, he has now given us the word, the gospel, that we could preach to others, that we could show others, not only by preaching, by demonstrating that we are Christ. It's like the, the disciples in Acts chapter, was it three? After they had um, healed the man that was lame at the temple. And they said, then they, they thought, they, they believed that, these, these people were with Christ. How did they know that? Because he, they were doing the things that Christ was doing. They were little Christians. They were little Christs. They were doing the things that Christ was doing. <coughs> now when they were... <coughs> now then we are ambassadors for Christ. 
as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. He's speaking to Christians here. To everyone, but he's writing this letter to Christians. <coughs> Maybe there are times when we drift from God. Maybe there are times when we fail God. We've got to become reconciled again with God. We've got to come back to repentance. We've got to come back to the advocate, Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God. Who said he's not only the propitiation for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Then he says, for he hath made him God. God had made Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This is a, this is a bigger picture. When we consider the full aspects of the crucifixion, when we see all the different verses about the prophecies of the crucifixion. There is a big debate going on in the Christian theology world and soteriology world. Why did Christ die? Why did he have to die? What was the reason that he died? Well, we all know that he died for our sins. But why did God do this to his son? We know what happened, but why it happened. And some believe that God actually released all the fury and anger that was meant for us and released that anger and fury on Jesus Christ. I don't see any scriptures that says that, although the scripture says that he was punished. Go to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Verse. I mean the whole. We could read the whole chapter. It's so, so beautiful. And, and so 100% fulfilled in the gospels. Verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and hath carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God. We esteemed him that he was smitten by God because he was a, he was a sinner. He, was a, he did something wrong. And afflicted. But. That's the but that turns everything around. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Chastisement is the punishment. The punishment for our peace was on him. It's very difficult to understand what was going in the mind of God when this was happening and why he did that. One thing for sure, 
Every scripture in the New Testament that speaks about this says that he bore in his body our sins. That he was given to us as a propitiation for our sins. By his blood we are justified. And in some way, this was considered by Isaiah through the Holy Spirit that there was a punishment going on. What that is, I cannot tell. It says he became sin for us. He took our sins upon himself. And, and if you look at these scriptures in Isaiah, in Matthew 8 and then in, second, in 1 Peter 2, if you go, if you go uh, look at where it says, Surely, verse 4, surely he hath borne our griefs and our sorrows. When Jesus said in the New Testament, verily, or verily, verily, he's trying to emphasize something. He's trying to say, pay attention, take notice. What I'm telling you now is very important. The fact that surely comes first refers to he. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And when you read that in, in Matthew and Peter, it says the same thing. They knew through the Holy Spirit what Isaiah was trying to say. He says, he himself, he of his own self, went to the cross, gave his life. He of his own self, quoting, alluding to the scripture. And it was Jesus that says, no man takes my life away from me. I give it up myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. And if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. This is a, this is a, a drama that ended up on the hill of Golgotha. Where he became to the Roman world and to the unbelieving Jewish world a spectacle. But what he was doing on Golgotha Hill was the climax of all ages. That the battle against evil and the powers of evil and sin and the devil and his emissaries was finally won. The enemy was defeated and eventually Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 and the last enemy that shall be defeated will be death my friend I go through this last verse again is in your heart the battle still raging do you care do you care what Jesus did on the cross do you want to be part of something so great? Or do you want to be missing out on the glory of his kingdom and be partaking in the lake of fire that burns forever and ever? That's not your motivation. That should not be your main motivation. 
Once you come to know Jesus, once you come to know that he is offering you wholesome, uh, fulfilling, joyful, uh, glorious life in him, your view will change. You will seek more from him. You will seek his word, you will search his word, and you will say to yourself, what must I do to be saved and part of God's family now? Before you go to bed tonight, or even after this service, think on these things. Look at the pictures that are around you in this world. Look at the depravity that's going on. Look at the oligarchs that are killing themselves because they've lost all their money or they, whatever it was. Look at all the people that are being plundered, all the drug-induced uh, uh, deaths, all the all the murders, the, 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 the school shootings, the, you name it. This world is bound for hell. Think in these things. What will it profit you, Jesus said, if you gain the whole world and all its trappings and all its corruption? What will it gain you if you gain all of that and then lose your own soul? The devil offered Jesus, bow down and worship me and I'll give you the kingdoms of this world. The kingdoms that were going to be returned to God anyway. That was all his in the beginning. I pray that you think on these things. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. My brother, find a hymn. It's a beautiful day outside. I'm sitting up here at the front and I can see through the side lights of the door in the front there the sun shining on the street and the, the trees it's a beautiful day it makes no difference to you if you're locked in the dungeon if you're in the darkness the light that's shining this day from the sun is the light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ you need to step into that light you need to come out of the dungeon wherever you're locked and experience that light. I remember that moment. I made the realization that Jesus Christ's sacrifice was sufficient. God proved it by resurrecting his son. It was a simple thing. It wasn't an emotional thing for me. And then I turned around from that light and walked back into the darkness. And it led to another further months and months of struggle. My friend outside of Jesus Christ Come and experience the light of Jesus Christ, of his resurrection, this morning. You don't need to understand the sun and how it works and the size of that great big burning ball of gas. No, you need to feel that light upon you and walk in it. My brother and my sister, you who are supposed to be walking in the light of the sun, are your eyes closed? Are your eyes shut a little bit to the, the power of that resurrection? to the glorious clarity it brings, Christ wants to bring you light. My thoughts were drawn to Ephesians chapter 4, which the passage that I was thinking about ends, Awake thou that sleepest, and Christ will give thee light. May he give us this light, each one of us, this morning hour, in the power of his resurrection. With that, we conclude his service.